Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Name. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Snow Hewson is the head of the Tar Foundation in New Zealand. He's a tar guide in New Zealand. And he came onto my radar about this time last year as the new operational plan for tar management was about to be dropped by the Department of Conservation, more affectionately known as DOC. So I wanted to catch up with Snow one year later. Our video went viral. The non-hunter video that we created went viral. And I wanted to know what's the situation. The leadership of DOC has changed. The attitude of DOC has it changed. And what's it like on the mountain? Is he seeing less tar? Is he seeing impacts? Is he seeing changes in vegetation? This conversation may be with snow about tar and, and their management, but there is a collective unison team on the ground in New Zealand, SCI, New Zealand Deer Stalkers Association, the Tar Foundation, the Game Animal Council, and they're all doing amazing work for conservation and improving fauna and flora, native fauna and flora, managing species like tar and elk yep they've got elk in new zealand sandbar 
red stags, you name it, the New Zealand hunting culture is a culture of conservation and management. And this is just a fantastic little update conversation right out of the South Island of New Zealand. So I'm sitting here in a t-shirt. It's freaking 90 degrees outside. Humidity is about 90%. It's just rain. So the humidity has even gone further up. And you are sitting in a Kuyu Verdi puffy yeah. jacket with a beanie on your head. Yeah, so it's the coldest week of the winter here so far, easily. And the last week I've been hunting is the coldest week hunting I've ever done. It's probably minus five outside here now, and, and that's at my home, which is um, only at about 200 metres from sea level. So. And where is home? Wairau Valley in South Island, so that's near Nelson Lakes National Park. One day, Snow Houston, I'm going to make myself, I'm going to be on the South Island, because I've only been on the North Island, and I'm going to shake your hand, number one. Then I'll give you a big hug, and then um, we'll go chase some of those, those shaggy lions together. We sure will. We sure will. Well... Let's, uh, let's uh, make sure that we probably introduce, your, introduce you. Um, I'll give a small little intro because to me, you're a very special individual in Blood Origins life in that this time last year, actually it was, what is today? July 3rd, it's July 4th for you. Uh, it was about September, it was about June the 27th last year in which I heard about Doc and their shenanigans. And I was like, this is crazy. And I need to speak with someone. And I reached out to Cam Henderson. And Cam Henderson said, there's one person you need to speak to. And that is a chap called Snow Houston. And we got on Messenger, Facebook Messenger. Your, your internet sucked so bad that you couldn't make a phone call. <laughs> And we spoke over Facebook Messenger for about 45 minutes. Yeah. And you gave me all of the details tied to TAR and TAR management in New Zealand and what DOC, Department of Conservation, for those that don't know, we call affectionately known as DOC. And that was my introduction to you, Snow Houston. And then I, I was lucky enough to have a phone call with Peter Ryan. And you know Peter Ryan quite well. And then um, I had a conversation with Gwyn Thurlow. And those three inputs shaped essentially Tarmageddon, which was the video that dropped that had like got about, I don't know if you knew this, but got 200,000 views in yeah. three days or four yeah. days. And so, yeah, so Snow Houston, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, it's actually Snow Hewitson. Oh, geez, I just stuffed both my feet in my mouth. And, you, and you're sitting there just smirking at me when I'm messing up. So I appreciate you doing that no, too. That's, that's cool. And the, and the first thing I'd want to say is, look, you know, um, I know Cam and, and Cam's put my name up on the chair of the Tar Foundation, but there's a huge group of guys behind this. And, and there are a lot of guys who have been involved in it way longer than I have. And guys who probably, um, lots of Gwyn Thurlow's, Gwyn's probably um, only recent to this stuff too, but a very passionate hunter. But then there's other guys who go way back in this stuff to the original formulation of the tar control plan in 93. So 
there are guys that have been battling this for more than 30 years and 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 um when it got called Tarmageddon, and i think maybe it may have been greg Dooley from the nz hunter that gave it that term from new zealand as i saw it anyway but a lot of us were referring to it as tar wars because we've been through this before and this is like tar wars right. so none of this is new to us it's something that we've always known if forest and bird managed to capture a political power that they did with Eugenie Sage becoming Minister of Conservation. And we always knew that something like this was coming. A, a good friend of mine who I'd warned about this years ago actually said to me one time, he said, the writing was on the screes. No, you told us about this years ago. But I thought that was a mm-hmm. kind of a cool way to sum that up. So it didn't surprise us. We knew it was coming. So Snow, you as a day job, what do you do as a day job? So I, I own my own hunting business. I'm a hunting guide, and that's what I do six months of the year. And the rest of the time, I work as a subcontractor to a, um, a parks and reserves open space management contract. So in that, I, I've got a background in, um, in farming and forestry and machine operating, and so I can turn my hand to lots of different things. And that gives me the ability to um, come and go from my job as I get uh, guiding commitment. Yep, yep. Snow, honest, honest report out of New Zealand right now. Obviously, the border is still shut. No international hunters can come down and hunt with you. Uh, what's it like right now? To be honest, Robbie, I've been I've been lucky because um, a lot of my clients are Kiwis, and and I get a lot of Australians. And some of those Australian guys have managed to get through. Um, a lot of those guys were booked from last year, so. Um, I, I always sort of set my operation up to target uh, Kiwis and Australians and not the American market. There's several reasons for that. Just the, at my age, it wasn't worth my while starting to come to travel to America and attend shows and things over there. And, and I already had a lot of contacts with people here and a lot of guys who, um, for them, a tar hunt with me is like a bucket list thing. They're older guys and they don't want to hunt with some young guy they can't keep up with. So it hasn't mm-hmm. impacted on me like it has on a lot of the other guys. I've been pretty lucky. What's the what's the sentiment on everyone else? I know that you've got your finger on the pulse on anyone else, on, on other folks. Oh, there's some guys really struggling. There are guys who have, um, you know, um, invested a lot of money in properties and things just recently and not getting any return. And, um, yeah, there's some, some operations with a lot of money, you know, and, and a lot of assets and that at risk right now. Um, They'll be, they'll be wanting to see things open up again next year, but it's going to be really hard for them even to ride out that time. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I've, I've obviously got a lot of family in Australia and my father passed away in Australia last August. And so we haven't been able to get back to Australia yet. And um, I don't know how they're going to open. I honestly don't. The, the, the Australian country shuts down and I'm sure New Zealand would do the same, the same thing when they've got eight cases, you know, 20 cases. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, my wife's got her parents are in Victoria, and we were thinking about going back over there. And there's a hunting show, um, the Wild Deer Expo, and we we're thinking I would go to that and catch up with Annie's parents. And we sort of started thinking about that. And I'd also made plans to hunt the buff again and head up the territory after that. And and then the guy that I hunt with up there came back to me and said he didn't know whether he'd even be able to get out of Victoria at that stage. So we pulled the whole thing off. Yeah, the Wild Deer Expo, thankfully, has uh, been pushed, pushed to September now. Is what, that's what I saw. Yeah, I hadn't heard that. But, yeah, we'll, we'll just take that as it comes. 
we're pretty lucky down here you know new zealand is ticking away almost pretty much as normal like um they make a big deal about it the government makes a big deal about how well they've handled it but we're an island nation we're we're miles from anyone else we've got a very low density population so we've got everything going for us and, and i don't think mm-hmm. it's the way the government's handled it that's allowed us to dodge it we just geographically we're blessed so snow obviously since we interacted this time last year eugenie sage is out we have a new minister we have a new government um let's talk through you know your feelings and thoughts to the the new doc the new leadership at doc um maybe let's start there let's just talk about you know the the change in leadership at doc and and, and what's happened well then the new minister who came in kerry allen has very unfortunately become ill um, yeah, that's right. She's yeah. got uh, stage four cancer, right? Yeah. So, um, and we're all gutted about that because she was just such a breath of fresh air. She was someone yeah. who, who yeah, dives and fishes and, yeah, and was someone who gets out there and does this stuff. And she had indicated to us that she was very keen to meet with us and start to talk to us and um, rebuild some bridges to the point that she was even talking about um, allowing someone to take her on a tar hunt. And, um, and then she got ill, you know, and none of that's been able to happen. And, and there's a an interim minister now who um, I haven't really had any connection with, so I don't know. I know she will be, her role will be to follow what Kerry Allen wanted to see happening. But, you know, I think it's really unfortunate that we aren't actually dealing with Kerry Allen. And we all wish her the very best and hope that she can get back on board. And Yeah, we too, us too. Yeah. Yeah, and everyone feels like that, you know. Like I said, she's just such a breath of fresh air and genuine. Like everyone said, you could tell she's genuine. So, yeah, so yeah, we, we wish her all the best. But to go back to Eugenie Sage, she put quite a bit of stuff in progress that's still carrying on and still got, she's, you know, she's still having an influence until some of the things she put in place have run their course. So there's still a lot of work going on on tar on pastoral lease. Um, They've surveyed a lot of that and they're now going back to the owners of those leases and those properties and talking to them about the tar on their properties. Um, if they do that, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's the right way to do it is to say to them, you've got tar on here. What are you doing about controlling them? Because I know those guys do control them and I know they're, they're yep. farmers, so they know stocking rates. And and so they're looking after their properties. And if, if they accept what those guys are doing, then then it should be fine. And if they say, well, you've got too many, do something about it, and, and they can come to an agreement on how many they'll take, that's how this whole thing should have been handled, is do it with the cooperation of the people who know the animals and know the country. And they'll do the right thing. So Snow, let's, let's back up uh, a step or two. For those that are brand new, fresh, they may know what a tar is, they, but they've never heard about the situation in New Zealand. You want to rewind and almost give a quick summary or recap of what happened this time last year? Well, you almost need to go back right to the start. Okay, go back Love before. Go back before to the original time again. That's right. Well, well, what I'll do is that you even have to almost have to go back to 1905. These animals were introduced to New Zealand, and they they came Perfect. from the Duke of Bedford's Park in England, and they were released at Mount Cook which wasn't a national park then. They were they were there 50 years or more before it became a national park. Um, they, were, they were brought in to create a tourist hunting industry and the first license to hunt tar wasn't issued until the 1930s. 
not long after that, there was a whole change in the way the government in New Zealand dealt with the animals that were brought in for for um, hunting, both recreationally and as a as a tourist operation. And they turned the animals from being game animals to pests. And so that legislation has lasted since about the 1930s. And so coming right up to more recent times, in the 1970s, there was a lot of hunting wild animal recovery, which was recovering of deer and, and uh, tar and things for the meat and selling it commercially. And that was done with helicopters. And in the 1970s, the tar were almost wiped out for meat recovery. It was estimated that there was less than 2,000 animals left. And so that that was Tart Wars one. South Canterbury Branch mm-hmm. of the New Zealand Deer Stalkers Association started a campaign to save the tar, and that went to the government. and And uh, the government of the day put a moratorium on the commercial recovery of tar for meat. And and then at that stage, um, the push was on to create this tar management plan. And the Himalayan Tar Control Plan was formulated in 1993. That was actually that was actually something that was really far-reaching for its day. It was, it was, um, there was quite nothing else like that here. Um, it was enlightened thinking, and it was it put in place a program that could could have carried forward the way that tar managed to today if it had all been acted on. And what it was based on was um, creating management units and and a feral range for tar. So that limited. The area that they could occupy in the southern Alps, so that protected a lot of the plants and things that are outside that area. So a lot of that argument is gone because they're only allowed in that feral range. Then the feral range is broken into seven management units, and, and the northern and southern units are exclusion zones. So they basically have a zero density, and then you have some areas where you're allowed a few more tar, which are closer to some of the pastoral lease. And so those those units you could have say two to two and a half tar per square kilometre, which is still not very many tar. Mm-hmm. And in the national parks, it was zero. And that was the starting point in 1993. In 1993, there were 15 guides operating. It was estimated that you needed 200 trophy bulls to meet the demand for tar hunting, both commercial and recreational. And if you roll, if you roll forward to today, there's over 130 guides. And, and the GAC, the Game Animal Council, have done some work and they estimate that there's 1,200 bulls required to meet the demand by guides and and recreational hunting. And the tar On plan, an annual basis. So the TAR plan allowed for originally 10,000 animals, but it also allowed for, it was adaptive management, it was meant to be reviewed and work out how many TAR the land could sustain. That 10,000 was a starting point. And that work was never done. And so as the tar herd grew and more and more guys were guiding and, and hunting commercially and more and more recreational guys got into hunting, the tar, the whole thing grew and grew. And then, you know, it's attracted this attention from Eugenie Sage that there's now way more tar than the 10,000 it says in the plan. And they haven't accepted that the plan was meant to be adaptive. It was meant to be the research and science was meant to be done to work out how many tar we could sustain. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so then she attacked us in 2019. She wanted to kill 25,000 tar. She, she maintained there's far too many tar out there and she's going to knock them back to 10,000. And we said, no, you're not going to do that. You haven't done your work in the plan. We said, we will agree to a cull of 10,000 animals. 
and we thought that's fair and reasonable. Let's cull 10,000, then let's do the research and the science and then work out what level of tar we can have in those units. And they didn't want to do that. They would come hell or high water, they wanted to kill their 25,000. And, and that was led by Forest and Bird and Eugenie Sage. And we fought them on that and, and um, ultimately we went to court. So we've, we've put a stay on those things, but they've still they're still going on and on and they're still targeting that 25,000 is my view so that's that's where we're at now is they're still they're still going to start killing this month and they're still in my view they're still heading towards that 25,000 what we've managed so, in, is delay a lot of that and make them yeah. yeah make them come back to us and um consult with us although you know there's been a whole lot more consultation this last year than there was prior to the court case but it's one thing to consult with people and hear your submissions. It's another thing to actually act on those. Right. It's a lot to get your head around, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And for someone who's not familiar with it, it is it is um, it is a daunting set of circumstances. Um, that you know when you but you start when you start peeling the onion layers back, it was you know you're, you're talking about a, a, an organisation called Forest and Bird, and I would recommend anybody just Google Forest and Bird in New Zealand, and you would realise that. You know these guys are a little a little left of center and um it, it's almost an anti-use kind of organization and they also you know it's funny when you get into these organizations and for instance they're they're after you know culling twenty five thousand tar they're not saying you know let's use those animals let's use the meat let's let's figure out what we can do with this valuable resource it's it's a matter of shooting and leaving and wasting and we're okay with that but we're not okay with someone hunting it, it the the the, the, guy, the dichotomy is is quite perplexing um but as you said they went ahead the the uh, the operational plan went ahead in 20 in 2020 and um what have you seen snow you've been in the mountains you've been in the mountains the past couple of weeks have you seen a difference you've seen less tar it, it's been um the whole reason i went on this last trip i went on was actually to get a look at a valley that i hadn't been into before but it's but it's next to another valley i have been into and flying in in the machine now the morning the, the first thing was obvious was what fantastic condition the tussock and the and the bush and everything is in there and that's not because they culled tar last year because that vegetation takes years to recover if it's been hammered so the vegetation in that valley was pristine. I was absolutely thrilled to see it looking so good. The, the tussock is up to your knees and up to your waist in place. And there were good numbers of animals in there. We had a great hunt. I had three guys with me who all got a bull. Um, and we were seeing tar from our camp. We could see tar virtually from on every terrace across the river and, and up the valley. And, and I'm not saying a lot of tar. Like they were in small groups of a couple of bulls and a few nannies and that's where it should be there's enough there to hunt and have a good hunt and not too many but that's only that valley and and the pilot that flew us and said there are other valleys i could fly you in, and you can see the tussock has been hit and it's obvious that those valleys have had too many tar in them yes and hopefully those are the values that they've addressed yeah and and you're not saying just to be clear here and this is the the key point from last year you're not saying here that we want no culling or no management. You're acknowledging that management is needed, but there has to be a balance. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've said that all along. 
the the creation of the game animal council here is something we've fought for for years all the different hunting organizations like safari club here in new zealand and the new zealand deer Stalkers association we've all been campaigning for a long time to get this game animal council act in place and get a game animal council set up because under that legislation that allows us to create a herd of special interests which we would want to designate the tar as, and then we can start to manage them and so this is what this is what really infuriates me about Eugenie Sage and the Forest and Bird Kill Everything Addict is they've got an army of hunters out there who will help them manage tar if they'll only allow us to manage them and not take this, oh, we've got to kill every last one and we can't we can't acknowledge or accept that there's value in them, that, that people value these animals, want to see them, not even just to hunt them. Some people just want to see them. A lot of us guys enjoy the sport, the challenge of hunting them, but also um, cherish the meat because there's no better meat than tar. Annette and I had a leg of tar mm-hmm. last night. It's cool to come home from a hunt and roast a leg of tar and say, well, you know, this is just so nice. Well, I will say this. Um, the, the last thing I want to talk about is with you. We, and, you know, at the time of us doing the, the tar video last year and having a conversation with you, we had literally a month before converted blood origins into a non-profit and with the 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 circumstance cam henderson reached out to me and cam henderson if not many people know his name but he's he runs a, a journal in new zealand called the hunter's journal which is a fantastic almost modern huntsman publication for new zealand uh beautiful magazine beautiful photography beautiful articles well written pieces and he said to me, he goes, hey, I've got an idea with this whole tar thing. Why don't we try and introduce some folks that are not hunters to, to this thing called tar? They probably never have seen one. And I said to him, I said, Cam, that is a fantastic idea. And as a nonprofit, we can raise money to do that because that's what we were built for. That's what the nonprofit was built for, to build documentary content to aid in changing perceptions around hunting to convey the truth about hunting and hunters. And so I reached out to a guy that had said he wants to support Blood Origins and he wants to be the first check writer. And I said to him, I said, I've got the project and I've got a number and you can be the first check writer. And he underwrote the entire project. And I called Cam a week later and I said, you've got a green light, go do it. And he says, I think I can get a couple of people, but I think we need a hunter. We need a guide to guide these four non-hunters up into the wilderness to show them what it means. And Cam said, there's only one person to do that, and that is Snow Hewson. You know, I, I felt pretty privileged to be part of that, to be honest. And the other thing about that is I really needed that at that time. Like I... I've been so deep in this stuff and I hadn't worked for weeks and I felt a lot of pressure and a lot of stress and to actually get out there on the mountain with those guys and have that few days away was, I really needed that then. And so not only do I really appreciate the fact that, um, that it was funded and gave us the opportunity to put a voice to a lot of the stuff we wanted to show people, but on a personal level, um, I really enjoyed that and I, and I got a lot out of that. And Cam's wife, Sophie, wrote the article for the Hunter's Journal. And, and you know how as hunters, a lot of us struggle to say what hunting really means to us. Sophie nailed a lot of it. And what she talked about, how how much she enjoyed even just talking about tar and things in camp. And, and that was all stuff that we take for granted. We don't realize 
it is all part of what we enjoy but to try and actually describe why that's important to us sometimes is hard sophie nailed it and, and one of my favorite bits out of that whole clip is sophie sitting there and saying what is this magnificent fluffy beast this tar that i've never heard about and you know she just kind of such innocence and and all of them all of them just loved it and i knew they would because everyone does you can't go into those mountains and see that animal and not go wow this is something real special well and that's the beauty of it right we we called the film it was the first documentary out of blood origins it was called the difficult treasure uh snow Hewson guided four non-hunters uh of a vegetarian uh a, a university graduate a photographer and then uh sophie who's a photographer as well winning photographer up into the mountains you saw tar you stalked tar you showed them you ate tar stew yeah. which looked absolutely fabulous um that's what we wanted to do it was like it was such a different idea let's just take them let's throw them in a helicopter and let's take them and show them yeah, you know, years ago I was hunting with a good friend of mine who's a winemaker and, and we were on um, the Krangaroo, which is one of the West Coast blocks. And there's a mountain there called Mount Townsend and there's a big hanging ledge that hangs out into space and, and it was like white out with fog and the weather had been really crap for about three days. And we were walking up Brassy Creek, it's called, and there was, there was like a hole in the cloud and there was this blue and this ledge was hanging out into space like it was just hanging in space because you couldn't see what it was attached to and there was nothing but air underneath it. And there was a bull right on the edge of it. And my mate who's a winemaker looked at it and he said, wow, he said, if we could have the whole of New Zealand standing here now and take a vote, do we want these animals or not? It'll be hands down, yes. And this, the whole concept of the difficult treasure and, and showing that is something I've always believed is if we could show people what we've got and then they see it, they would just go, why would anyone want to destroy this? And, and the, the name Difficult Treasure, that was a perfect choice too. I've, I've used that myself since as I've called it a treasure and, and trying to maintain it has been difficult. So yeah, that was a fantastic thing to be involved with. And we need to do more and more of that kind of stuff to showcase the animals, let people see them and let them realize what we've got here. Yep, I think the video had like 235,000 views as well. Yeah. So it was also a very, very popular video. Yeah. Um, but no, I'll, I will tell you this, no, and I'll pl plant the seed in the back of your brain. When you are ready to tell the next story, we are too. You just tell me. We're ready. We've got the platform. We've got the people. We, we want to fundraise for good storytelling. And, um, and naturally, the next one, I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to be sitting in America watching people helicopter into the back country of New Zealand. Well, we'd really welcome that. We'd, we'd welcome that. So we are, we are starting to do some good things like Doc are starting to talk about letting us do a bit of um, working with them around some management issues and doing some, um, like, like one of the units, Unit 1, they agreed not to do any culling in this year because the numbers are right down. And so starting to let us look at what animals are in there and how we manage that going forward and start doing some vegetation surveying and that type of thing. They have allowed some of us to go along on some of the um, surveys and of vegetation and looking at the animal numbers. And that's what we want. We want to be involved, but we also want to be able to have our say. We want to be able to say what we've seen as well and have that recognised. 
it's a bit frustrating that right now, you know, we've finally got across the board some of the stuff with some of those guys, and now they're walking away and they're appointing new people that we have to deal with. And it's like, do we have to start again from scratch with people who don't know this stuff? They appoint people there who don't know anything about tar and, and they've got to learn all this stuff. And we've got people involved on our end who've been there from day one, decades of experience. Guys like James Scott who've been flying that country for 40 years, and flies over that country every day of his life because that's where he works and where he lives and where his business is. And they don't listen to guys like him. It was the same flying in with this pilot I was with the other day. They're seeing it on a daily basis and they're picking up hunters from all these different blocks. One of the great things we're starting to do now as a TAR Foundation is we've got a pamphlet that goes out to every group of hunters on the ballots and they fill in how many TAR they've seen and what they've shot and how many care they've right. seen and what the care are doing and we're feeding that to the care trust people. And We want to get involved in um, some blue duck predator trapping in some of the valleys that um, the hunters are going into all the time. I've already approached Doc about that and pushing for them to let us get involved with that. And there's, there's valleys and there's Areas that are tarnas are going into all the time, and they're precious to us. Where there's tracks that go down the river, and we're seeing the blue ducks in there all the time. And so, for us to be checking traps and resetting them while we're there is another way that we want to contribute. So, and that and that's my message for Forest and Birdie. And it's not just about the hunting. We all love seeing the care and the blue ducks and and the vegetation and all that. It's all part of it. It's not just about tar. Yeah, and I think that message is true all around the world for all hunters. You know, people obviously have a bad perception around who we are and what we're supposed to be like and what we are solely focused on. And for the majority, I'm not going to say for all, yeah. for the majority, that is not the case. And we enjoy, as you said, I, I think New Zealand culture, the New Zealand hunting culture, first and foremost, has this idea because of its history of invasives and whatnot has this ideology that is, hey, we need, to, we need to help. We need to take these things out. We need to take the rats out, the stoats out, and help our ground-dwelling birds, help our, our, our blue ducks. And, um, yeah, you guys have got some great conservation initiatives. So kudos. And, uh, again, if we can help in any way, that's what we're here for. Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty interesting last week seeing the care and that when you shoot a tar, the care are turning up really quickly. And... You skin it and you cape it and you take your meat, you take your back straps and legs and things. But what you leave, the care are coming and feeding on it. If you take a back strap off and put it on a rock to cool, you've got to be careful the care doesn't swipe it from behind your back. <laughs> that, that kind of worries me a little. It's like we're teaching these animals that, oh, there's this free food going to fall from the sky every year. There's a wee bit of worry in that. Are we going to have generations of care who are dependents who are just sitting on a rock waiting to be fed? The other side yeah. of it is there's, there's some um, evidence that those care who are feeding on that meat right through the winter, managing to pick up a carcass here and there that, that hunters have left, they are coming out of the winter and into the spring in better condition and, and nesting and breeding. So there may actually be a correlation that the tar are really beneficial to the survival of care for the future. I just Wow, yeah. imagine that. Well, and someone needs to do the science to prove that that's the case. But again, I have this... I have this nagging in, in the back of my mind that is it is it good to teach these guys to just sit there and wait for free food? They're, they're a real right. smart bird. They'll quickly, if that stops happening, they'll quickly go back to what they do beforehand. But over generations, will they get lazy and lose that, you know? It's a worry, I think. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. 
Well, Snow, I know that you are a busy man. You're in between hunts right now. Um, and thank you for just taking your time and just giving us an update on what's happening down there. I'm going to try and get Gwyn on the podcast too. But I uh, appreciate you, man. And again, I can't wait to one day meet you face to face and shake your hand. Well, yeah, well, the appreciation is mutual, Robbie. Like all the stuff you're doing and, and um, putting all that stuff out there from the non-hunters perspective and trying to change the way that people who aren't hunters think about us is, is absolutely something that needs to happen because there are those against us and there are those on our side and there's that big block in the middle of you said and they are reasonable people or they they're not the fanatics at either end if they see something that makes sense you know i know people like that have come to me since all this has happened and they've seen some of the stuff we've done and they've said you know you guys you guys are trying to do the right thing here and um yeah it's hopefully it's going to change and, and certainly what you're doing is, is leading that change well i appreciate it i appreciate it thanks no thank you well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.